Some of you may rather be watching a Notre Dame game right now, and we've prepared the place for that. And already there have been a few who've complained, we're not becoming good shepherd, are we? So I want to just do a short explanation of, of what the screens are about, if I may. You know, technology is with us, and uh, to, I believe, be a church that, that worships well, we need to be looking at incorporating that. Now, I don't like the way Good Shepherd does that thing over the altar after communion, so we're not going that way. But you've all noticed that, um, you know, we are handing out these green sheets every week, and this is costing us money. Um, many people complain that, for goodness sake, Father, can't you cut down the announcements? So that's another reason why we're doing this. Um, you know, to, with the changes in the liturgical language of two years ago, we need to replace our uh, hymnals. And that's twenty to $30,000, and I don't want to do that. So this we're going to try as an answer to that over time. Now, Andy doesn't quite have this set up the way it will eventually be. There's some, still some technology issues to, to work out. I know folks who were sitting in the back uh, as they came into Mass probably couldn't see too well, so we're going to increase font sizes and things like that. But the bottom line is this is to enhance our liturgy and to save us a lot of money. Uh, so I'm hopeful that you will uh, be at ease with this. Um, and of course, we're beginning this liturgy at 5.30 uh, on Sunday evening next week. And um, my hope is that it's, you know, we're going to pump it up a little bit here, and we need to be able to put the words up there for people to sing. So that's, that's what's going on uh, with the screens. If any of you have visited in Europe recently, even in the Basilica of Notre Dame de Paris, those, those screens are all on every column going down through the church to bring the celebration, to bring the preaching, to bring the, uh, what happens at the table a little bit closer. Now, I don't think we need to go that far at this point, but uh, again, to enhance liturgy, to help us uh, with the singing, and uh, to save us a lot of money by not running these things off, a little bit of time by not doing uh, the commercials at the end of Mass, so to speak. So as you come into church from now on, please take a look at these because the, the announcements will be running up there. And then after Mass, uh, once things are finished with our prayer, uh, those will come back on and you'll be able to view those. So I'll, hopefully from now on, I'm not doing any more announcements. Good with you? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> And they may creep in once in a while, but we'll see. <laughs> Little story. An immigrant's son was home from college. And thinking that he knew how to run his father's store better than his father, he starts in with a, a litany of how his father should improve things. He says, Dad, you, you need to organize your accounting. You need to buy a computer. Quit keeping your, your payables and your receivables by hand. You know, there's, there's no way you can know for sure what your profits are. And before the son could continue, his father interrupts him. And smiling, he said to his son, he says, you know, I arrived in this country 30 years ago, and all I owned was the shirt on my back. And now your sister is an art teacher, your brother is a priest, your other brother is a doctor, and you'll soon be a CPA. Your mother and I own a house and a car and this store. And if you add all of that up, 
and subtract the shirt, there's your profit. Now many of you know of the book of Sirach. It's the first reading that we heard from this morning, or this evening. And it is also called the book of Ecclesiasticus, which means the little church book. And it was written by a fellow who is described for us as Jesus, the son of Sirach, son of Eleazar. And Ben Sirah, he wrote at a time when the Middle East was dominated by Greek culture. This is what happened right with the conquest of that particular area by Alexander the Great, which had happened uh, about 300 plus years before Jesus comes on the scene. And Alexander's successors in that particular area sought to rule by, by imposing Greek culture and values on the people whom they lorded over. And that included forcing Greek philosophy and religion on the Jewish people. So Ben Sira, to do something good for his people, he founds an academy to teach young men the wisdom of Jewish ways as a response to this oppression. And this book that we hear from today is a, a part of that response. And it's part of what we call wisdom literature. And wisdom literature in the scriptures can be a little bit disjointed. And the reading we hear today is no exception. But what is interesting is that the same issue we see Ben Sira addressing around 175 BC is the same that Jesus addresses almost 200 years later in our gospel today. And I think we can better appreciate our readings if we can see the contrast revealed between Jewish and Greek culture. Because you see, in the Greek culture, humility was seen as a vice. You didn't want to be a humble person. But in Hebrew culture, humility is seen as a virtue, and, and consequently, in our Christian culture as well. But sadly, our culture today sees humility almost as did the Greeks. And it's a very handy social tool we are expected to be humble when honored. You know, we're expected to have a, a sort of a, an aw shucks kind of response when people compliment us. But beyond that, we are expected in this culture to be strong and aggressive and in your face. And, and that's how we see people interacting with one another today. You know, humility is perceived as weakness. And notice and, and compensation are always expected for a job well done. And Greek culture placed high emphasis on gaining honors and respect. But when Jesus offers his advice to sit at the lowest place and wait to be invited up higher, He's merely quoting a very popular maxim of the day. Taking a place that was much lower than you should have was an accepted way of gaining notice. 
But Jesus here turns the advice of Miss Manners into a theological reality. Jesus is saying to us is that we cannot fool God with self-promotion. Humility and generosity, you know, these things are not altogether natural instincts for us. They have to be cultivated. You teach your children to be humble. They don't naturally do that. And many of us mistake shyness for humility. And, and quite frankly, big gifts to charity is being generous. These virtues must be understood properly in order to be lived properly. Humility comes from believing that, that I am not responsible for my achievements, that my achievements come from God. And true humility is seen in, in Mary's statement in the Magnificat when she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And being generous does not necessarily mean giving a lot of time or talent or treasure. Motivation is the key. But many people give because they, are ex they feel that they're expected to give. And that's not a good way to look at it. That tires you out. That burns you out. That causes you to not want to be involved in things, or quite frankly, to to give in any way. And we do suffer from that. Generosity exists when we give simply because we want to. It exists when we give not as an act of social responsibility, but as an act of love. And most of us try to be humble and generous but we know that we are failing when we become angry because someone has failed to thank us for what we did. You know, every once in a while, the one person in the office who you know, knows what comes in and keeps track of that, she throws a little advice my way and she says, you know, wouldn't it be good if maybe you ought to send a note of thanks or acknowledgement or talk to that person after Mass if they've been really, really generous. And to be noticed certainly makes the giver feel good. We all, I'd love to be noticed. But if the pastor does not take notice, gifts can grow smaller. And fundraisers are fond of saying the, the solicitation for the next gift begins with the thank you for this gift. And psychologically, that is very, very true. But spiritually, it's very revealing. You know, we give expecting notice. And good fundraisers then use this reality to their advantage. We must always challenge our spirituality by questioning our motivation, especially when it comes to humility and to generosity. You know, why do we do what we do? Why do we give what we give? And humility sees the recipient of our generosity not simply as a 
poor person who needs help, but as a fellow human being equal in the eyes of God. And we respond generously not because the pastor will say thank you. We respond generously because God has first responded generously to us. God loves us by giving. We love him by giving. And including the poor in our acts of generosity, including the parish, is not so much an act of love for the poor or the parish, but an absolute act of love for God. You know, the father in my opening story was never concerned about his wealth. He was concerned only for his children. And his reward was not great wealth. It was happy children. And today we must ask, you know, what do we seek as our reward? 